Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in Boston and in Cyprus. We talk with Michael Hendricks, Partner and Global Design Director at IDEO, and with Panos Panay, Vice President for Strategy and Innovation at Berklee College of Music. We speak about emotional diligence, what David Bowie and Nokia have in common, what leadership can learn from music production, and we learn about their new book, Two Beats Ahead, and the value creative education and a musical mindset can have for business and innovation. Okay, let's speed it ahead. Hello, Michael and Panos. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Christoph. Hello. Great to have you. Um, I would like to ask you a question in the beginning. And my question would be, what's your first concert or live show that had an impact on you? I want to hear Panos's. <laughs> well, my first real live show in terms of rock and roll, was Van Halen in 1991, October, I think, 19th. And it was in, um, in Rhode Island, in, in Providence. I had just moved to America to go to Berkeley College of Music and had been a lifelong Van Halen fan. And being from Cyprus, no rock band ever stopped by here when I was growing up. So I was just dying for some good old big arena rock and roll. So seeing Van Halen live for the first time in my life was a dream come true. Great. Wow. By the way, do you know that Van Halen, they also, they are from Nijmegen. They lived in Nijmegen. So that's funny, funny I, coincidence. <laughs> I did not. I know, they're, I know they're Dutch and I know their father was a fairly well-known clarinetist, I believe, a musician, uh, Jan Van Halen. And then the brothers uh, were Dutch and they moved to Pasadena, I think, when they were, you know, young. But I did not know that they were from Nijmegen. Cool, great. Michael, your first concert with an impact on you. It was, uh, it was REM on the Green Tour. So I, I think it was one of, you know, they, um, I, was, I guess I was 17 years old or so at that time. And it was a big arena tour, which was, you know, REM at that point still was just kind of um, on this momentum upward. So just amazing to see a band that I that I love so much um, on a on a huge stage. Pylon opened for them. Pylon, I don't know if you know Pylon, but no. obscure art rock band from Athens, Georgia, as well. Um, still excellent. In fact, I think I think it was James Murphy um, from LCD Sound System. I think he just re-released their records a couple of years ago because mm. they are such good records. So. Seeing Pylon open, seeing REM live was pretty amazing. Great, cool, and and you're 17 and you're out and uh, 
everything is okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, <laughs> growing up in America, like if you're if you live in a rural area like where I grew up in, it's a it was a, I literally a two hour drive to go see them just because that was the closest town they were coming to. All <laughs> so right. There's there's a whole other component to it of just it's a commitment. You know, I mean, I, I saw um, not long after that I saw you two on the zoo on the zoo TV tour with Public Enemy opening and. That was in Birmingham, Alabama. Kind of oh. amazing. And um, again, it's like you drive hours to see these bands. <laughs> <laughs> wow, great. Um, but one question from, from Panos again. Panos, you see, from Cyprus, what about the music in Cyprus? Was there any concert or any influence or anything that you, that you heard in, 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 yeah, in your, in, when you were young? Well, when I was a child growing up, the, the music of Mikis Theodorakis made a huge impact on me. Uh, Michael may not know who Mikis Theodorakis is, but he wrote, he's I know. known, <laughs> known in, in, in most of the world for writing the music for Zorba the Greek, um, but a uh, renowned composer, not just because of his music, but also because of his um, uh, political stance, uh, was always uh, an activist. Uh, also, uh, Hachidakis, his music, uh, really made an impact on me. Um, and, uh, a Greek singer called Yorgos Dalaras, uh, was also, uh, somebody that I just, uh, always enjoyed his, his music as a young, as a young man. Um, as a matter of fact, he introduced me to a guitar player that I eventually ended up working very closely with and I've become close friends with, uh, Al Dimiola. Oh, wow. um, so it's it's amazing how all these different musical genres introduce you to something else and another door opens and you discover somebody else yeah. um so that was that was my journey but growing up in cyprus most of the music that i listened to uh came from the uh what we call the bfbs or the british forces uh broadcast uh system and this is where the was a radio for the British troops that are stationed in Cyprus. So the first time that I heard uh, Stairway to Heaven, uh, the, the first time that I heard re uh, Reflex by Duran Duran, uh, I still remember them to this day. I remember where I was when I heard both of those songs. Uh, All right. Believe it back to back, because back then you could hear Stairway to Heaven and Reflex by Duran Duran back to back um, on the same radio station, which doesn't really happen anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, um, but most, most of the music that I enjoyed, uh, as a young man was, um, uh, from British radio and top of the pops, which I, uh, British program that I got on pirate, uh, video cassette about a week after broadcast in, uh, in, in the UK. Um, wow. yeah. Um, before we dive into the book and what, um, yeah, what the, the rest of the world can learn from musicians, um, I would like to ask you to just introduce yourself. So who are you and what do you do for? Yeah, I'm, I'm the global design director, IDEO, also a partner. Um, and, uh, IDEO is an innovation and design consultancy, uh, global been doing innovation work for 40 years. I've been at the company over 12. And design has been uh, my career from the beginning. I studied design in college. You know, I worked in advertising. I eventually, you know, freelanced, worked out of my home, co-founded some businesses, design businesses. Eventually, that led to co-founding a startup um, that um, was based 
in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, working with the carpet industry in America. So wow. we used uh, uh, the CAD and CAM data that ran those machines and learned how to visualize that with software so we could reduce uh, samples. And we could apply that to any fabrics or textiles. So you know, it was a, a virtual sampling business, um, which doesn't sound very cool, honestly, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun <laughs> thing to, to introduce a new technology into an old industry. And I, and I think that's what eventually drew me to IDEO is I, I really enjoyed this idea as, of disrupting the way things were done with some, with a new technology, new experiences. And, um, of course the IDEO then, you know, that, that is the portfolio just inventing new things. Uh, but it took me a long time to figure out that's what I loved about design because, you know, there's so many different ways you can practice design. Um, you know, and I still do love graphic design as well. I mean, being in, being in the Netherlands, I mean, I'm actually wearing an experimental jet set t-shirt today. I don't know if you know that design firm. Yes, sure. <laughs> I wore it, I wore it for you for this podcast. <laughs> oh, one really? of my favorite Thank design you. firms. So I'm um, still a huge fan of graphic designers too. And Irma Boom, another, another fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the crossover, between the musical mind and the design mind, I think I, I didn't realize that until I got into the innovation work. Um, and, you know, Ponis and I can explain it a little bit after he tells his story, but essentially, you know, our meeting forced the articulation of that for me. And uh, then I realized, wow, that musical mind has actually been with me the whole time too. I just had never given it uh, the... I guess the definitions, the words, put a, put a vocabulary against it, yeah. but it was all there. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm currently senior vice president for global strategy and innovation at uh, at Berkeley. Um, I originally uh, my my background uh, after I finished Berkeley uh, with a degree in music business, I became a talent agent, booking a lot of uh, world renowned musicians uh, like. Leonard Cohen and Pat Metheny, uh, Chick Corea, Nina Simone, Lady wow. Smith, Black Mombasa, um, did a lot of work in Holland, uh, yeah. with the North Sea Jazz Festival and, uh, with of course the Paradiso and so many of the legendary clubs in Amsterdam. Uh, that's how my geography is actually quite, quite good because back then there was no such thing as Google maps. So you to book artists, you literally had to open an atlas and uh, measure distances using a good old-fashioned ruler. Um, and then after that, I started a company uh, called Sonic Bits. That's a platform that connects bands and music promoters. Uh, ran that for 13 years uh, until I sold it uh, to the parent company of Billboard uh, magazine. And then uh, I went to Berkeley to found the Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship uh, to really help unlock these mindsets that we're talking about in the book uh among uh creative people mindsets that paradoxically they have but they're not always aware of um and then with my current role i am in charge of the uh, uh institutional strategy uh i personally oversee uh all of our campuses outside of boston including new york city in valencia spain where we have our master's programs uh in abu dhabi in the united arab emirates and i'm also busy uh working on opening a campus uh in china for berkeley some some 
time, hopefully in the next three years, um, as well as actively exploring uh, a campus in Los Angeles. Um, so it's a it's a fun it's a fun job that gets me to be both operational and 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 strategic at at the same time. Great! Wow, wow! What a what, what a job and what a job in Corona times when you might not uh, travel. And I had yesterday my first gig again, a presentation also about music thinking. I did it with the jam cards that you might know, and it was the first time in in the last year. So it really felt like from wow, that's that, that's uh, really strange. Michael Panos, from from your from your from your background, working in let's say in a, in a business setting as a designer. And also from when I get it right, the entrepreneurship was for the musicians, right? To, to, to make them, to, to teach them uh, entrepreneurship. So these are two different perspectives on the, on the creative, on the, the creative path. So um, I know you, you, um, you met each other on a, uh, on a conference. And, but my question would go from you developed together a course, And maybe it's nice to, to, to hear what you did, because I understand this, might, this was actually the nucleus of what later comes, uh, came into the book, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll describe sort of the or origins, and then I'll turn it over to Michael, because he's the person who took the course to a whole new level. But when I was asked by our president at Berkeley to go and start the Institute for Creative Entrepreneurship, I sort of asked myself, not having ever worked in academia, not having, not really being able to tell the difference between a syllabus and a curriculum, um, I, all these Latin words being Greek, I don't really know. Uh, I, I, I thought, well, how on earth do you go about teaching entrepreneurship, let alone to a, a, a bunch of creative people? And I, I, like playing music what you do you do it intuitively you don't really think about it uh, and you kind of weave and find your way your way through it which is what happened with me uh in starting a business i had not at the time gone to a traditional business school um so i really looked back at my own experience and i realized that my my mindset as a musician the way that i related to the world Uh, the way that I uh, synthesize information, um, uh, my whole framework, if you will, as a human being was really around music. And even though I had seen the two disconnected, my business side and my music side, I started realizing they were actually very much part of the same thing. Um, so the foundational course for what became the minor in creative entrepreneurship was actually based on this, how these mindsets of musicians can be applicable in ways other than just performance. And then when I met with Michael, um, especially given that a lot of my thinking about the Institute was influenced by design thinking and especially the D school at Stanford, uh, that IDEO was so closely involved. When I met Michael and I found out he worked at IDEO, I, 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 I was like a groupie and uh, I was like, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting this guy who works for this company that I have so much respect for. Um, and then we kind of took one step after another and, and, and uh, Michael took over the course and took it to a whole new stratosphere. Uh, and this is why I will turn the metaphorical and literal mic over to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it started 
interestingly, because Panos, you know, as Panos said, he had like based the course off things he learned um, from visiting the D school. We had a um, an MIT professor named Ken Zola in the mix um, that taught it, uh, entrepreneurship there to engineers, and so there were some a lot of different ideas coming together. But as I was initially just wrestling with the idea, I th- I was sitting there thinking. What do I tell the musicians? Because in this in this particular case, when we're starting, it's just music students, you know. And I decided to make it very personal. And the beginning of that then was just asking, as a designer, as I think about how I go from idea to making something tangible in the world and sharing it, um, I have a framework from design thinking I can use to see that. Could I could I just find parallels? in songwriting, in performance, um, and map it against that and see where they can cross over. And in those crossover moments, like listening or observing or demo and prototyping or um, experimenting, I could, I could tell stories to students that showed them both sides of that coin. You know, like in your world, it's this. In the design world, it's this. In an entrepreneurial world, these concepts work like this. It, it, it was really that simple, but it, it was for me also at that point discovering that about myself because, you know, it's it's interesting to have when you think about the creative process. A lot of people um, find it very mysterious, and they actually, if you're an artist, sometimes it's precious to you. You know, you want it to be mysterious. <laughs> you want the muse to have, to be out there, and um, Honestly, for the for the first fifteen years of my design career, and even as an entrepreneur during that time, I didn't really have a mental framework for my creativity. It wasn't until I got to to IDEO, who you know at the time that I joined had just started sharing design thinking in the world, that I got comfortable with the idea that maybe there is some kind of mental framework. So I totally empathize with people when we first start sharing this idea and. You know, they're like, you know, don't cramp my style, man, <laughs> you know, which I've had plenty of students tell me, um, you know, it's, uh, I get that, but there's a shorthand to a lot of the things that we do or the ways that we see the world. In fact, that can help unlock creativity faster and consistently. So the course, as we were working on that course, we actually tried a lot of different versions of it. I mean, we did a startup lab course where we're, you know, trying to get students to go from idea to product in the market within 16 weeks. Oh, wow. um, we did courses where um, we actually turned the process on the School of Berkeley itself, and we actually, you know, we, and had some great success. We we uh, helped redesign career services at Berkeley through through these mental models, these mindsets. Um, but where we eventually uh, settled in was less on the tactics and the to-dos and more on the how-to-think spectrum. Because what we found is um, the students really just need initially to understand that the way they think about the world is transferable to different aspects of their life. They have this virtuosity in music. Mm-hmm. That virtuosity also applies in non-musical things. And if you um, get into the tactics of like, you know, what are prototyping methods or what are design research methods, et cetera, I found that it was distracting to just this simple idea of 
changing your perspective, right? And so we, so the book actually leans into that too. We, we decided let's not make a how-to book. Let's not give people like, here's eight things to try at the end of every chapter. What we wanted, what we set out to do instead was to say, let's help you change the way you see the world. And if we can help you change the way you see the world and give you the vocabulary for that, we believe the methodologies will come. And you also won't adopt this musical mindset as a formula because that, that's, that's been one of my um, laments about design thinking is I, I think people have seen it as a formula um, and I, I, I find it uh, less effective as a formula because it's also a perspective. So we've learned from that and we want people to understand that these music, musical mindsets are applicable to everyone and it, the, you start with just seeing the world in a new way. Um. If you do this course, you do it together with musicians. Did you also do courses with the business people? I, I think, uh, Panos, I, um, I read something in Valencia that you foresee. This would be the very interesting part because I can understand that designers, um, artists, uh, uh, musicians, they can easily come together and create something incredible. Um, but when we get down to business and outside of the the, the, the business frame, um, then I would be interested if business people would read your book and would read the analogy instead of just taking it as a metaphor for just a new framework, just understand the analogy, they could do better business. Is this what you intended? Yes. Uh, look, my, my experience of business and the best business people that I know, they're out there hard creative people. Business is a creation as much as a record is a creation, as much as a car is a creation or anything else. Uh, it just happens to be in a different in a different way, using different mediums. But at the end of the day, um, you're a creator and you're looking to find an audience. You're looking to find an audience that appreciates your 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 uh, your invention, your creation, um, and what makes you happy. Ultimately, of course. Is first and foremost the the um, appreciation and consumption of what you put out there, the utility and and the way that you move people, and if you do that well, then profit comes. Uh, but most of the most amazing business people that I know, who are widely successful, they don't start with, "Gee, how will I make a um, you know a, a margin of ninety three percent?" That comes afterwards. Uh, you start by saying, look, I have this burning idea inside of me and I want it to come out. And what makes me happy is that first time that I see person ABC consuming this thing that I put out. So, yeah, we've done a number of workshops with uh, with CEOs. And at Berkeley, we collaborated with Asada, the business school uh, out of Spain, uh, as well as, uh, we have a program, uh, for many years with, with Brown for high school students that doesn't seek to use these mindsets as, uh, ones that are applied on music performance, but ones that are applied in any other realm. Uh, and what's in incredible, uh, uh, Christoph is the intuitive connection that every human being has with what we're talking about. And, When you talk about concepts like collaboration uh, or uh, effective connections uh, or the ability to reinvent or remixing or uh, paying attention, listening, I don't think there's anything about it that's inherent to music. These are fundamental human mindsets 
that when you pursue, let's call them non-creative paths, they tend to get obscured uh, by other layers because you start self-editing yourself. Um, and ironically, as we get older in life, we tend to zoom in rather than doing the opposite, zoom out. So I think good creative people uh, that, or creative people that I, that I look at and respect of any discipline are people who are able to, in fact, not so much have tunnel vision, which is a bit of a cliche that we use in business, but exactly the opposite, more of a broad vision, the ability to look at the peripheries, look at edges. Uh, and that's where the interesting things happen. Somebody once told me, when you walk downtown in any city, don't look at street level, look at the next level up, because that's the real heart of the city. That's where the fun is. That's what, that's what, that's what interesting is. Um, and I, I feel that it's the same thing when it comes to uh, a business, uh, creativity. If you, if you just have tunnel vision, you will likely not end up doing something uh, that is truly uh, unique and amazing and innovative. You will never get two beats ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, I, mean, or, it, it, I, would, I would emphasize, too, that, you know, Pontus and I are business people. We're executives, right? We're, we're founders of startups. We've run those businesses. We've sold those businesses. We lead teams today. Um, so the, um, you know, the conversation we're having that, that sits in academia and, you know, the, our, in our creative selves as musicians, et cetera, um, often overshadows that side of who we are. And I, I think we've both wanted to make sure that people understand that we're not proposing a theory. <laughs> this is a, pr these are proven ideas through our own life experience. Um, and we've been able just to interview some great artists, some celebrities to help show the broad app applicability of it. Right. But it, it certainly is important for business. Well, you know, Christoph, maybe the next, uh, for this book, Two Beats Ahead, we interviewed a number of musicians to talk about these mindsets. Maybe the follow-up should be Two Bites Ahead and interview <laughs> a, a bunch of business people uh, about these very same mindsets of the way that they're deploying them. All right. Uh, but for me, I just never found the dichotomy. And I've been a... a, a Uh, a business person, an executive uh, within a business, because at the end of the day, uh, at least in the United States, education is is a business. Yeah, you have all the exact same constraints that you have when you have a traditional uh, business, especially in a private university like Berkeley. Uh, your orientation is not profit per se, uh, and your product is learning. But to Michael's point, um, I think it's important that this book is not perceived as uh, some theoretical construct, but these are life experiences that we've both accumulated, but also life stories of people's experiences that um, are proven successful in their own in their own fields. Uh, but it's absolutely not a how-to guide. This is not a paint by numbers or 
take these 10 things and shake them upside down and ta-da, you are creative or <laughs> business-minded or whatever. That, that is not it. We, we seek to pose as many questions as we offer explanations. Um, I also see it like um, if you see a pattern in one system, you can easily see it in another system. So it doesn't matter if it's business to music or music to business. What I was, why I'm very interested is like um, people like Albert Einstein, the, the, the world famous uh, scientist. He was a violin player and a piano player. And there are, there are sayings about him when he, when he got stuck. He came to the piano, played half an hour at the piano, and then smiled and went back working. So it's also something that in music that it's not the spoken that is much more. Or if um, if you go to Greece, um, Yanis Xenakis, um, I adore this comp composer because he did the same um, principle from his uh, first orchestra piece, Metastasis, and he made the Philips Pavilion and, and, and with with the same idea and. Um, you, you, you talked with with a lot of people, and um, I found w one part where I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, you also spoke to venture capitalist Tim Jung. Can you can you tell us more about it? Because f for me, it, it it helps to show that people that have a musical way of thinking uh, and can do something else with it. Yeah, I mean, Tim said something to us that um, I actually heard from other venture capitalists before, but he talks about emotional diligence. Um, you know, and if, if you've been involved in venture capital, <laughs> you know, there's a, a process that most VCs go through when they're interviewing the different founders and, and, and looking for their next investment. And um, I've been on the other side of that table, <laughs> interviewed by <laughs> many VCs. Uh, but what they're normally doing is like, you know, your idea is the table stakes. You have something that, you know, you think is going to be the next big thing in the world and and be a good business. But you know, there's a lot of people that think that they all, there's a lot of people that have ideas, <laughs> a, a lot of, a lot of young founders. So what Tim talked about is he, he's basically interested in the, in the crucible you've been through, um, in your, in your professional life or your personal life. Um, and so the reason for that is because he wants to understand how you, how you've learned from those moments how you react to those stresses, how you believe they've shaped you going forward. And that gives them a lot more insight into uh, whether you're a good fit for an investment than the whatever idea is on the table. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a practical reason for that too. Like I, I actually don't know any entrepreneur that after the first or second year hasn't pivoted to something else because the first, the initial idea, once you get it into reality <laughs> in the market with other humans, uh, you discover a flaw, right? And so, um, or you just discover something's work doesn't work. I mean, it's a prototype and we talk about, you know, demoing and prototyping in the book. So I'll, I'll park that for a second, but you know what Tim was saying is actually the same thing what, that Bjork said too. You know, like she, she helped start a venture fund after the collapse of the economy in Iceland. And the whole fund was based upon um, this emotional due diligence idea. And so it was interesting to, to kind of see that crossover into that space, that, that there's um, a, a belief in the value of human experience just as much as the rational idea. You know, and that, that's... Um, 
You know, I, I think often in, in business circles, it's actually the truth as well. You know, as Tim showed us, um, I think people talk like it's not, you know, there's often like this, uh, fog of pseudo rational <laughs> explanations about why things are done. <laughs> but if you can really dig down into why most decisions are made, it's, it's about instinct, gut experience. Um, and, uh, and that's actually something to embrace, not something to hide behind. Is it also like improvisation or working together with others, getting back and forth, feedback, giving, giving impulses, getting impulses back? Well, there's certainly a, um, a component of that, you know, especially once you've launched something in the market, but in, in that, in that decision-making moment, yeah, that's, that's where, you know, where I think when there's something like what Tim is talking about is actually, there's a kind of empathy to it, right? You're trying to connect on a human level with one another yes. versus an intellectual level. And, um, in that case, yeah, I mean, improv is about recognizing each other, listening to each other, uh, understanding when to respond, when to pull back, when to lead, when to follow, etc. So absolutely in that context. Uh, with, with Mike, um, I met Mike, uh, when he was at Google and specifically at Google X, which, Uh, which has now been rebranded as X, but that is the the lab where uh, autonomous vehicles and a number of other uh, Google inventions are are birthed. Um, and at the time, he was running a project called Project Loon, which effectively deployed hot air balloons into uh, the stratosphere in order to power uh, internet connectivity in countries. Uh, like India and others that uh, did not have access to reliable broadband uh, connectivity. Um, and the science behind it was just absolutely incredible. Uh, and Mike has, uh, he, he is truly trilingual. He has a, uh, a business degree from Harvard, an engineering degree from MIT, and also attended Berkeley. Um, and in many ways, he exemplifies the, the type of personality that we talk about in the book, somebody who's equally adept at the languages of creativity, technology, and business. Um, and it was fascinating talking to Mike because he said to me that a lot of his problem solving um, and his ability to see through things or mix or connect things that others couldn't um, was directly uh, uh, connected to his education as a musician at Berkeley. Um, wow. And that one of the things that contributed the most to his success as a, a, a multi-company entrepreneur, Mike has started five companies, I believe, before he went to Google. He's now in yet another company uh, that's all uh, about nuclear fusion uh, called Apollo. Um, and it was amazing for me to hear a person so accomplished attribute so much of his ability to make connections to his creative education. So the story you talked about with respect to Albert Einstein, or if you go a few hundred years before, before Einstein to somebody like Da Vinci, uh, it, it's quite evident that this ability to, um, uh, overcome this, if you will, dichotomy of left and right brain thinking uh, that 
is is as much neurological as it is, frankly, um, self-imposed and self-created. Um, is is critical to the ability to think outside the prover- proverbial box um, or to problem solve. And at the end of the day, I feel that the uh, argument we're, pu- we're we're putting forth with the book is that our society needs to have a serious conversation about the value of a creative education today, given the challenges and complexities of, of, of the modern world. So what is it about the musical mindset that makes a change? Or Because th- this could help us to convince people to, um, yeah, to pick it up, to... Maybe first pick up your book and get uh, convinced or maybe inspired or maybe seduced to more think about what this could mean and then apply it to to, to all the problems we, we, we have out there. What would be the, the, the first connect the, with the musical mindset? What is it uh, for you? Well, uh, you know, for me, it's... Um not a thing it's many things you know and i and that's why there's you know roughly nine mindsets in the book <laughs> that, that really try to make that argument but there's a couple things we've talked about already that i i think might be more meta and in one as i think most people would acknowledge like this moment of time is highly dynamic <laughs> normalcy is uh I don't know what it is. This is that's the that's the challenge with the moment. Um, the pandemic just emphasized that it was already a dynamic, rapidly changing market. Um, geopolitics showed us that as well. So, like you know, if you're the kind of person that wants to to understand, like has an idea for an outcome and wants to go and pursue that and make it happen, you probably find this moment in history very frustrating because the rules of the game are changing every day. But I believe with the musical mind, uh, it's it's far more plastic. It's, it's flexible. You're more interested in how you respond to those moments, and with an optimism that you can help push things in a certain direction that will eventually become interesting, valuable, etc. Right? And that's you, you mentioned improv earlier, Christoph. That's a that would be one of those characteristics. Um, in collaboration, Pontus and I talked about this a lot in the book. You know, the the desired outcome of collaboration is um, unknown, other than you believe in the other person you're working with, and that connection is enough for you to have the optimism that something good will come from it. Um, and in this in this moment where the game is changing around us, you have to be able to adapt quickly. Um, like I mentioned earlier about young entrepreneurs, that is the characteristic of a successful entrepreneur's ability to adapt to change. So that's definitely an overarching idea in the book. And it comes up often implicitly throughout the book, because we're talking about, you know, listening or reading the room or how to be inspired. We're talking about why to work with somebody else and why that might lead to bigger um, or exponential outcomes. We're talking about why to prototype and put something in the world so other people can react to it and respond. We're talking about why to invest in experimentation and starting to recognize how timelines 
um, manufactured timelines about something's value don't make any sense anymore because what was valued, what doesn't make sense today may very well make sense tomorrow. We're talking about the ability to reinvent. Um, you know, you can look at someone that decided to reinvent a lot like David Bowie, and you can look at companies like Nokia who have also reinvented themselves over well over a hundred years to go from a, you know, a sawmill to a 5g telecom telecom company. All of that um, is evidence for me that this mindset is highly valuable in this moment. And can you tell more something about the book, more an, an, an example? There's one um, chapter about gardening and not architect. Uh, because, and, and it's not the musical part. In the first, you would say, oh, what has gardening and architecture with music to do? But there are also patterns. Um, can you tell more about this? Yeah, and I think I'd like to use it as a way to illustrate the applicability of these mindsets uh, into a business context. Uh, the chapter itself is about producing. Uh, so uh, the uh, quote you brought up is actually uh, uh, Brian Eno and... Um, I forget what's the cards uh, that it's uh, a card game. No, it's not a game. The cards o oblique, oblique, oblique strategies. strategies, oblique strategies, yeah. which is a series of cards that have a, a number of interesting uh, phrases like gardening or architecture that are meant to be inspiration points, if you will, especially when uh, he was stuck in the, uh, in the studio as a producer. Um, but for me, The chapter of producing is interesting because I've been uh, using it a lot with respect to my own approach to management of people. And I like to say that when I was younger, I used to think that a manager is uh, or a leader is more like a conductor of a classical music orchestra. You write these very precise parts, you distribute them to everybody, you stand up on a pedestal. You look imposing, you think and believe that you know everybody's parts better than they do because you wrote the darn thing. And you probably also have the delusion that you can play everybody's instrument better than they do. As you mature, you start thinking a lot more like a music producer. And in many ways, that's what's fascinating about the chapter. If you ask most people, if you look at this, if they go into a studio and they say, this is a producer, They'll be like, uh, what, what do they do? They don't play an instrument. Many of them are not even musicians. Uh, they don't all know how to work a console. Um, and and I, I think arguably the average person would say, I have no idea what this person does. I mean, frankly, maybe, maybe people will give you the exact same answer about a CEO. They conceptually understand what a CEO does, but uh, it's not always evident, right? Um, and... Ultimately, what do they do? They activate talent. They create platforms. They create environments. They uh, uh, manage conditions. They remove obstacles. They bring people together. Uh, and they create the overall um, uh, you know, assembly of, 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 uh, of weather conditions needed so the talent can... Uh, uh, perform at the highest possible level and uh, that they can capture that magic that's within everybody.
And what I just described could be described as a music producer, or it could be what a really good leader and manager does. Um, and it's been fascinating for me to be applying the same framework on my own management style, because frankly, just because you write a book or you do your hundredth podcast, it doesn't mean that you've internalized yourself these things. I mean, this is not something that, well, I read the book. Great. I checked the box. Now I'm somehow an evolved human being. Uh, it is an ongoing effort and practice in the same way that learning a musical instrument is or playing a musical instrument is. It doesn't ever end. Even the most accomplished uh, musician on the planet picks up her instrument or, um, uh, and, and practices every single day. And that's also, also. I, I think that is something that we can learn as well. How many of us practice every single day what's important to bring to our jobs? Again, I'm not talking about a, a task. We all do tasks every day, but do we work on ourselves every day as much as we work on our tasks? Um, as much as a, a musician doesn't just play scales up and down, right? I mean, they push themselves every day to become better. And um, it's an unending process. It doesn't end. I think that's a great analogy. And because it's, if you always play the same, it doesn't make you better. And I think that's the great analogy between business and also music. You have to see it broader to, to have, you have to, you have to experiment. And in business, sometimes we, we, we think if we get a conductor, someone that tells the others when to play and how to play, which by the way, the conductor does much more, but this is more the, the metaphor of the conductor. And, um, I think the, I would, I would love to switch from the metaphor of the conductor to the analogy of the producer that sees the whole field and tries to, 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 to zoom in and zoom out what you said earlier to, to make this as a, as, a, as, a, as a skill. And I think great conductors, they, they did this too um, with a composition of, uh, with a great composition, but the producer might be a, a more an update for, for, for our times. And also, and, uh, like you say, as you can uh, apply this to, to, to your work, that leadership is some kind of pro producership or that, that, that if um, leaders would learn uh, how to produce, that they might be more successful. In, in, in Two Beats Ahead, in the book, we have this quote from a very well-known producer called T-Bone Burnett, who, who says, I don't care what you're playing, I care who's playing it. And that's what we're talking about, that at the end of the day, in order to bring out the best of people, it's not about what they do, it's about who they are. And we forget that. In business, we forget that. You know what's been fascinating in a meta way for me, um, as we were discussing at the beginning of the of this podcast, we, 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 when you're promoting a book, you go out there and you do exactly what we're doing right now. You talk to a lot of people and you do a lot of podcasts and other interviews. And I've been playing the podcast um, back. And it's been interesting because beyond just examining your own performance, 
you realize that you're learning from yourself, which ultimately is another thing that musicians do, right? I mean, again, just because I'm sitting here, I'm articulating something, it doesn't mean that it's become second nature. Um, so there's something important, I believe, about this process of, let's say, playing something, recording it, listening it to, to it, doing it, recording it, listening to it, and that it doesn't have to be a musical note. It can be anything. I mean, I would dare any listener, record yourself when you're in a meeting. How often do you talk? Do you dominate the meeting? Is what you're saying um, uh, understandable? Watch your tone, your phraseology, your phrasing. Um, do you leave breathing time? Do you give people space to talk themselves? Or are you just speaking in an endless drone and monologue? I mean, even just something like that is something that we can learn from, from, from musicians. We don't necessarily go deep into this uh, uh, in, in the book, but I'm hoping that when people read Two Beats Ahead, and let's say the chapter of demoing, which is one, that this concept sort of jumps out uh, as well. Wow, that's a great, great tip and also a great reason to to dive into the into the book. Um, into the in in the book, um, you also did some interludes and you also uh, made some Spotify playlists. Maybe you can talk about this because this makes it also more lively than just um, using words. How did how did this work, and how did you work together on that? Well, as, as we were writing the book, um, like I said, we we actually did we tried a lot of different things at the end of chapters. And like you know, you get to the end of a chapter, like what do people do? <laughs> what do you want them to do? You know, and and we had made a decision that we weren't going to give people exercises to go do things. We thought let's make a re make the end of each chapter a reflection moment. So that led to the idea of creating some playlists. So the playlists naturally are naturally include the artist um, that we mentioned in that chapter. Um, we choose songs that illustrate the ideas um, presented in that chapter. Um, and the hope is that it creates, as Pontus was just explaining, the breathing room that people need to let ideas settle. You know, um, I really believe, I, I love that you talked about Einstein going to play the piano or violin uh, between, quote, work, um, because we really do need those moments for our subconscious to process things. Um, and my hope would be that for anybody reading the book, they don't try to read the book in a weekend. You know, it'd be better to read a chapter, um, listen to the playlist, and then, you know, come back a couple days later, later read the next chapter so that you have time to soak it in. So that was the idea behind it. And they were, they were really fun to put together. We enjoyed, uh, you know, not only choosing songs that we felt like were, you know, needed to be chosen because of who was in the chapter, but Pontus and I were able to go back through our own childhoods and talk about songs that were meaningful to us. And, uh, so you'll see the occasional, you know, song from the eighties in the mixes because he and I were, you know, of that age were, you know, those, those moments when they were really influenced us in influencing us as kids. But it, it was, I, I think it's a, a fun way to engage with the book and I hope people do take advantage of it. 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's very nice also to hear without the book or before the book. So when you order the book and in the, in the in between time, just to first uh, load you up to to get ready. And I, I also love the the idea not just to read the book, but to work the book and to let it digest, to 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 reflect on it. I think that's very very great. Very great thing. Is there anything that you that we forget in the forgot in the interview? Is there anything that you would like to to give the listeners um, as a last tip or uh, yeah inspiration? Well, we do have an excerpt of uh, chapter two on our website. So you know, if this was interesting, you can go to twobeatsahead.com and get an excerpt from the book. Check it out. It, it's the, about the resilience, right? The It is a. It's um, actually about Justin Timberlake and daring to suck. Okay. Yeah. It's and, about uh, ex experimentation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, though on twobeatsahead.com, you can also access an article uh, that appeared in Fast Company about resilience. Um, so, by all means, um, head over there and get some. Uh, content because I, at the end of the day it's frankly in many ways what we're talking about in the book um, you put out a product but it doesn't end um, right. it's uh, it continues right and and uh, there is no such thing as permanence to anything and part of what we want to challenge the readers of two beats ahead is to um make this leap from an analog world of the 20th century to the digital world of the 21st century, going from the physical world to the digital world, going from a world where you have a one and done to a, a world where it's one and done and redone and outdone and done again. Um, so I, I, again, we're, we're just hoping that this will, um, stimulate a conversation, uh, and we want to hear from from everyone. The best way to reach us is is through uh, the website, twobeatsahead.com. Thank you very much, Michael and Panos. It was really a pleasure to talk. We could go on forever, but I understand that there are time constraints. So that's also for, um, good for musicians. We understand what the time frame means, and so I thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank Christoph. you, Christoph. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com.